You're live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. We have a pretty awesome program today. We're going to be talking about some pretty interesting stuff. We'll be uh, chatting with Dr. Ann Kavukian, former Privacy Commissioner, about the new federal government COVID tracking, contact tracking uh, app and uh, privacy concerns around that. And will people even use it? We'll also be talking with uh, Ged Smith, one of our Get Connected contributors out of Toronto, about golf tech. If you're into golf or know someone who is, we've uh, got some really cool stuff from... uh, electronic caddies to the latest in golf gps and john this one is fascinating for me we're going to be talking about 3d printed food kfc has announced a partnership with a russian 3d printing company to 3d print chicken nuggets yay We'll give you the lowdown on that, but you'll have to stay tuned. Let's uh, chat about some of the uh, things in uh, the tech news uh, this week. This was kind of uh, interesting. John, do you have Tile? You know, those little, uh, yeah. little what do you call them? Little gadgets you attach to things uh, and you can... Bluetooth trackers. Bluetooth trackers, yeah. And uh, yeah. They're, they're cool. Great. They're cool. I love them. I've tried them. But I guess the one one issue I have is it's Bluetooth. So if I for example, had one of these trackers in my wallet and I dropped it somewhere in Vancouver, it's not going to give me the exact location of it because it's Bluetooth. No. Uh, it has to rely on the the tile community to kind of other people going by it, I guess, that have tile accounts as well. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and that actually have the tile app running in the background. Yeah, so there's a whole bunch of... Uh, pieces that have to fall into place to get my wallet back well telus has launched something really interesting called track plus this is a device that actually has an lte connection a cellular connection to help uh, locate things like purses wallets pets maybe even little johnny but you have to pay for it it's yeah, 120 it's yeah 120 bucks per device uh, but also available five dollars per month on their uh, easy payment plan yeah, and but then you need the plan, yes, which is five bucks a month. So it's you know really ten bucks a month. Yeah, um, but um, that, that's um, no upfront cost. How so. much do you love your pet? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm. It's hard to tell from the photos we've seen as to actually how big this is because I think this this might give your dogs a little bit of trouble to navigate if it was around their neck. It does look a little bit bigger. Yeah, we're going to have to get our hands on one of these. But I kind of like the idea. I mean, this is something you could also put in your luggage, for example. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it it works. traveling? Yeah. (laughs) One day we'll travel again. It it works in North America. So it'll work in Canada and the U.S. Because, again, it does have an LTE, you know, cellular data connection. So it'll work on all their partner networks uh, as well. But I like it. So, again, you can either buy it outright, $120 per device or $5 per month. Uh, I think over a two-year contract. Uh, but the plan itself is five bucks a month. That's it's not bad. It's kind of reasonable, don't you think? Uh, yeah, I, th- I think five bucks a month. I mean, it really depends on what you're attaching it to and um, how likely you are to lose it in a situation. You know, like like a, a purse kind of makes sense, uh, you know, but it might be a little too big to put in our wallets, for example. Um, might be yeah, it does big look big. Pet. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but it might be good for like, you know, your, your laptop bag, for example. Oh, right? exactly. Uh, if it was to get stolen. And, and luggage is a prime thing as well. Yeah. I know I'm concerned about my luggage when I'm traveling. There's some, you know, expensive things in there uh, sometimes. The one thing that we'll have to check into, I, I don't really see battery life on this thing. Like, yeah. And how it, 
stays alive and you can need to charge <laughs> it and all that kind of stuff because that's one of the nice things about the tiles is that you don't have to charge them um, they have a replaceable battery but the batteries last for years so this was an interesting story there's uh, a new type of attack it's called bad power that can actually corrupt fast chargers so with a lot of smartphones now for example you can get a regular power charger that charges at a certain speed but there's now fast chargers as well a lot of the new smartphones uh, support fast charging so you can get like a full charge within an hour but you have to have you know a smartphone that's capable of it and you know uh, the right charger well uh, they've uh, come across an attack now uh, where you know malicious people could put bad firmware onto the charger itself that would basically blow your smartphone up yeah, this this is kind of troubling because the, how these fast chargers work is that they draw as much power as the device needs. Uh, and this particular attack will actually change what that firmware thinks it needs and can potentially overcharge your, your phone, just give it too much power. And that can cause all kinds of bad things, uh, whether it be, you know, damage to the device, it could literally make it catch on fire depending on the device you're connecting to it. Um, and uh, th- I guess the only good thing about this particular attack is that it does require that the attacker has physical access to the charger itself to actually apply this update to it. Um, but this also sort of highlights something that maybe a lot of people don't think about is that a lot of the technology we have, even innocuous things like little charging bricks, um, actually have software in them to, to, to monitor and, and, and regulate what they're actually doing and that's a potential attack vector for for a bad actor um we talked about this offline but you know having physical access is one thing but what if the physical access happens at you know the place it's being shipped from you know in uh you know say in china where it's originating from or when it gets to a store there's a whole box of them there it's pretty easy for someone to just go through and and update all of these chargers in, in a bunch of boxes that you know a very quick amount of time it's just, and there's no way of knowing if it, if your particular charger has been infected with this this new firmware or not. Scary, scary times. Yeah. On a, a, another interesting note, uh, Elon Musk, who I think starts a new company every three days now, he has a, a brain hacking startup called Neuralink. They're going to do a big reveal on August 28th, but already some things are leaking out about uh, the startup. They're basically trying to find ways to interface technology with our brains. Uh, They say they've developed uh, tech that uh, allows them to drill small holes into human skulls and uh, have electrodes uh, placed uh, on the brain. And uh, this week here, uh, Elon Musk teased that it would be possible to send music directly to our brain without headphones. Does that kind of weird you you out? Would you have a small hole drilled in your skull for that feature? (laughs) Or do you like your AirPods too much? How yeah? How do you adjust the volume? Uh, there's all sorts of questions I have there, and yeah, what if it rains? Like, does the water get <laughs> seep into my my head, or like, how does that all work? I don't know. I guess we'll have to wait till the 28th to find out. Yeah, I we're mean, we're getting to a weird place in uh, history here now. Like being able to actually have electrodes uh, and information transferred to our brains. Can can that firmware be hacked then? Yes, I'm sure it can. <laughs> they can hack power chargers. I'm I'm sure they'll find ways to hack our brain as well. Don't you think? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of freaks me out. 
You're listening to Get Connected. We're talking a lot about uh, the tech news that's uh, out there right now. Talking about other weird stuff. Uh, Google is working on smart tattoos to add buttons to your body. (laughs) These are actually kind of cool, and they're not as invasive as as Elon's uh, drill a hole in your skull plan. Yeah. Um, These look like little stickers you stick on on your arm or whatever, and they will actually pair with your smartphone to give you the ability to adjust volume and that type of stuff. Uh, but it's a part of a research program that they're doing and they're calling these, these things skin marks, which sounds like something out of like total recall or something like that. Yeah. Um, it allows uh, people to touch or swipe on part of their body to trigger a response on their phone and other devices, which sounds pretty cool actually. Um, again, it's just a sticker. And so it, it doesn't look like it's uh, permanent. Um, and, uh, you know, we don't really know what this is going to, you know, how this is going to come out or how it's going to work, but uh, it's pretty exciting to see some of this research sort of hit the public now. So that means they're probably pretty close to some kind of public launch with it. Skin marks sounds like an unfortunate name. It kind of does, <laughs> yeah. I won't go down that road further, but I, I, I have all sorts of questions. I'm, you know, excited to see more about this, but like, how are these things powered? You know, how long does the tattoo work? And like you said, what can I do with yeah. it? It'd it's, be great if it's a mappable button, you can do anything with it, but uh, chances are it's probably going to be only working with a specific app. We're going to have to take a break. When we come back, would you eat 3D printed chicken nuggets? <laughs> we'll discuss what that's all about. KFC is hoping you will. You're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with John Bieler. Don't forget to stick around. We're going to be talking about the new Canadian government COVID contact tracing app and uh, some of the privacy concerns uh, that you should be aware of. And golf tech, some really cool stuff, like a golf bag that will follow you around. Right now, we want to talk about 3D printed food. And this is something that's being developed, uh, I think, for a number of years now. And scientists uh, are hard at work trying to find ways to grow meat in labs. Well, KFC has started a partnership with a Russian 3D printing company called uh, 3D Bioprinting Solutions, where they hope to put 3D printers in KFCs that can actually 3D print chicken nuggets on demand using this printing technology, obviously some type of uh, plant uh, material and cells from a chicken. Exciting times, John. Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, I think one of the big things about this, uh, the whole process is that it's taking at least majority of the animals out of the process. Um, and I know this could be a concern for a lot of people. It's like, well, I don't want to eat something that a machine made versus something that a machine killed. So yeah. it, it's that whole, you know, vegetarian issue. But I think at the end of the day, if as, as long as it tastes similar enough to it, does it really matter where it came from or how it got there? Well, I think there's a few things that they have to overcome. Obviously, as a society, we have to wrap our head around, you know, these meat type products that are, are that don't come from animals, really. Maybe their cells did or, or what have you. Uh, yeah. And they're grown in labs or 3D printed. Uh, but they have to make sure it tastes good. And the texture has to be there as well. Yeah. And that's something I think they can definitely do with this these, these, this bioprinting uh, process. Um, food printing has been around for a while. And uh, it's definitely something that it's not very common because the biggest problem with 
3D printing in general is that it's not a fast process, right? Um, it, you know, if you order your chicken nuggets, is it going to take you half an hour for it to print it for you? <laughs> you know, like, um, yeah, that's and, the problem. Yeah, and and the, the other big problem with a lot of this stuff is uh, the food safety aspect of things. Like, where is this stuff coming from? How stable is it? Um, how clean can it be? Because uh, part of the problem with other processes, not necessarily the bioprinting, but just 3D printing in general, people think you can get a 3D printer and, and you can print food, you can print, you know, items, all that kind of stuff. Car keys. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, all these things have downsides and you know speed is one of them for sure uh the food safety aspect is another one because it can be really difficult to clean some of this machinery um and um but i I, for me i think it's exciting because it gives them the ability to uh try to achieve sort of that star trek you know uh optimistic goal where you literally have a replicator that can make your food for you um that doesn't require you to kill an animal that doesn't require you to go and do a bunch of things that we typically have to do that adds cost and time and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I'm not fully sold on this particular KFC solution. This might be more of a PR stunt because um, I do know that to to do the processes that are talking about, it is very time consuming uh, and it will be very slow. Um, but again, the research has to happen so that we can actually get to that point. I know NASA's looked at something similar as well because they wanted to be able to give something, some kind of device to say the space station and allow astronauts to be able to print food there as well. But they had all kinds of problems with, you know, what kinds of food would be a appetizing and be uh, easy enough for them to send up there. So they actually have something to, uh, you know, to feed the machine. Cause you got to give it some kind of material, you yeah. know, and what is that material like? Yeah, <laughs> is exactly. it just a bunch of, you know, paste that gets, you know, attached to the machine and gets dispensed and cooked as it's, as it's being printed uh, or is it something like this particular KFC thing, which looks like it sounds, it sounds like it's going to be some kind of um, uh, material that's, that's being printed uh, and, it, and it literally grows, right? So the, the, the plant <laughs> material and the animal material will actually grow in the vessel, you know? So that's how they're going to make chicken nuggets. Chicken nuggets are probably one of the easier things to do. Yeah. I know NASA was looking at pizzas and hamburgers and that type of stuff. Again, fairly you know, simple foods uh, that you can just have a bunch of raw materials that would then be deposited by the 3D printer uh, to do that. But bioprinting is still in its infancy. And, you know, there's been a lot of advances over the years as far as printing heart valves and other things like that. But the big problem is unlike uh, your normal structures in your body, the 3D printing material doesn't necessarily have some kind of a structure or support mechanism to make those things actually solid and not be just a blob of goo right so um it's there's a whole bunch of challenges they have to overcome for that to work um but i'm excited to see where it's going to go you are a 3d printing expert you have actually worked with 3d printing food yeah yeah yeah, you've got some examples so if you tune into our video podcast uh on our website and youtube channel you can actually see some of these uh so that's a candy you're holding up right now yeah it's uh 
it's a little uh, like a hexagon cubey thing. Uh, it's made out of sugar. And, and this is the kind of thing that would be fairly easy for a 3D printer to make uh, because it's just using a sugar substance. When I print uh, regular things on my 3D printer, uh, I'm using basically a version of cornstarch. So this isn't that far off from that material. Um, but I had a friend in Portland. He actually gave me this. Uh, the, I'm holding up a, a little, it's a brown thing that is in the shape of the state of Oregon. And it's meant to be, uh, it's like a coffee material. You put it in a cup of hot water and it turns into uh, a, a cup of hot coffee. And, uh, but it's printed in the shape of the state of Oregon with a little heart in the middle, which is kind of like a tourism-y thing that they were working on. And this is safe so, to, to drink after you've made it? Presumably. <laughs> well, that's the thing, yeah. John. You're talking about the safety aspect here. Like, it's kind of the Wild West right now. Like, there, I know there's like these 3D printers that can print produce and 3d print uh chocolate and candy but you know who is certifying these things from a health perspective well and and this is the problem that we we've we've seen in just the 3d printing industry in general is that there's still a lot of unknowns as to you know all the different parts of the machine that's needed to make this stuff how is it cleaned uh how was it sanitized before the food went through it you know the food material itself has to be you know capable of going through whatever process it's being done on and um it 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 just becomes a big thing that right now doesn't have a lot of oversight or regulation because it's a brand new field of expertise that a lot of people are interested in um you know i would love to be able to go to a store and just have my food printed in front of me but like i like i said earlier right now it's going to be slow and uh, it might be a one-time print and then they're going to have to clean all the machinery so they can do it again too. So it's, it's not a practical, scalable thing, which I think is what KFC is hoping for with these this chicken nugget stuff. Um, but but, but we're, years away, we're years away though. Potentially, I would think so, yeah. Yeah. Okay, we're going to have to take a break. You might have heard of the new COVID uh, tracking or, or tracing, contact tracing app that uh, the government uh, of Canada has uh, been working on using the framework from Apple and Google for your smartphone. Where are we at with that? What are the privacy implications? Uh, we're going to be talking uh, talking with Dr. Ann Kavukian all about it. Stay tuned. And you are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo with John Beeler. Let's talk about privacy now when it comes to the COVID tracking apps that uh, are going to be descending upon us. The uh, federal government is still working on one i think basically using some of the framework that apple and google has put together to be able to track people through their smartphones on the line we've got our friend dr ann kavukian she is the executive director of the global privacy and security by design center she was actually the uh, information and privacy commissioner of ontario back in 1997 thanks for joining us uh doctor my pleasure thank you so before we even get into the privacy aspects, I don't even think this app has launched yet. Well, it hasn't launched yet because the federal government hasn't moved on it. The The app that they have was built in Ontario, and I was consulted on it. It's based on the Apple-Google framework, which is totally privacy protective. Apple briefed me on it on two separate occasions because uh, I always look under the hood, trust but verify, and it's amazing. It's totally privacy protective, totally secure. None of your information is going to go anywhere. You have to choose to, to make use of it. So it's all ready to go. Um, Ontario can't launch it on its own because the federal government wants to launch it. Okay, fine. So they give it to the feds. 
what the heck is going on? It was supposed to be launched originally July the 2nd. And lately, they said it would launch this Friday. Are we going to hold our breath? No. I have no <laughs> idea why they're not moving on this. The pandemic will be over by the time it comes out. It's ready to go. That's the thing, Mike. It's ready to go. It's great. Germany uses the same Apple uh, Google framework as does Italy and many other jurisdictions. Ger- Germany launched a few weeks ago. One day after they launched, 6.5 million people downloaded it and started using it. Wow. That's only effective and privacy protective. So it's crazy that we're not making use of this. I guess the important thing when this app does launch is the fact that it's opt-in as well. It's not something that's going to be mandated by the government. Oh, absolutely, Mike. It's totally opt-in. You have to choose voluntarily to download the app. And when you do, none of your personal information is captured anywhere. You connect um, via Bluetooth beacons, which change every 15 minutes. They're very privacy protective. And the beacons alert you if you've been exposed uh, to anyone who's COVID-19 positive. In fact, Apple, Google didn't contact, call it a contact tracing app. They called it an exposure notification app because they want you to know if you've been exposed and to be notified if you've been exposed to someone who's COVID-19 positive. And then you can decide if you want to take any action. Do you want to go see your doctor, a public health authority, etc.? It's entirely up to you. And in fact, they have banned public health authorities from collecting any geolocation data. Is that amazing? Well, I think that's kind of cool. Uh, I think a lot of people are always concerned that uh, their phones are tracking their every move, you know, because they do have built-in uh, GPS locators and what have you. But to your point, this this tracing app or tracking app is basically opt-in. It's using Bluetooth technology, not GPS. Uh, your information of who you are is anonymous. And the only time it's really going to be active is if someone that you have been around that's been kind of near you in your phone uh, has come in, uh, has got COVID. If you get COVID, apparently you get a, uh, a, a code that you would enter into the app and then that app alerts everyone that you've been near, correct? Very good. That's exactly it. And no personally identifiable information is collected. Not about people downloading the app, not about people indicating that they've been um, notified as being COVID-19 positive. It's so tightly privacy protective and secure. And that's why I'm supporting it so strongly. But then what the heck is our federal government doing or not doing? This should have been released before, at the beginning of July. Now we're approaching the end of July and it's still not released. Could we please put some pressure on the federal government to do this? Yeah, I mean, they talked about doing a pilot program in Ontario. I don't know what happened to that, but, you know, we, like you said, are literally weeks after when it was supposed to be launched. They said that it's supposed to be available coming up, you know, now. Uh, So I'm waiting with bated breath (laughs) to see if it happens. Like, uh, you know, from all the details I've read, I'm going to download it. I think it's important. Yeah. I, I want to yeah. make sure that I am being a, a, good, a good citizen. And, you know, from, again, what you've looked at, what I've seen, it looks like our privacy is protected pretty well. Totally. As, as well as you can have this information protected. There's no personally identifiable data collected whatsoever. And honestly, when I tell you that Apple walked me through every single detail of this under the hood, I was really blown away at the links they went to to protect this information. And they, they you know, partnered with Google, uh, which rarely happens because they wanted to reach the widest number of people. Most people who have cell phones, they're either iPhones or Androids. So 
they're trying to do as wide a reach as possible in the most privacy protective manner as possible. As I said, countries like Germany, they've been using it for uh, well over a month. It's working beautifully. You see, this whole um, exposure notification contact tracing feature works if people download it and use it. Uh, you may have heard roughly, you know, 50 to 60 percent of the population are are hoped will use it and then then it will really be effective but no one's going to be able to use it if the federal government doesn't put it out there so that's my frustration in this it's ready to go it's fabulous and they're sitting on it i think uh, is there any, uh sorry is there any options for people that maybe don't have an android or or an apple phone uh that want to participate in this program or is it strictly related to just those uh those devices that's a very good question, and options are being de uh, developed clearly, both in Ontario and presumably at the federal government level, so they're certainly looking into that. But at least let's move on this to get it out there, because it's of no use to anyone if it's sitting in someone's back office. And the fact that it has been ready for a month, ready to move on, and I've worked with Ontario, I've looked at what they've done, it's great. Why aren't we moving on this? We're talking with Dr. Anne Kavukian. She is the Executive Director of the Global Privacy and Security by Design Center, chatting about the new contact tracing app. Uh, the federal government will be rolling out sometime soon, and we're going to be keeping on top of this story, and I really appreciate uh, you coming on today. My pleasure, and please urge the feds to get moving on this. I'll give uh, Justin a, a call, but I think he's busy with some other stuff right now. He's a little busy, huh? <laughs> Thanks again. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk here on Get Connected. Stay tuned. And you are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo with John Beeler. Let's talk golf. Uh, and to do that, we've got our golf expert, Ged, our Get Connected contributor from uh, out in Toronto. Thanks for joining us today, Ged. Thank you. It's great to be here. Ged, you've had a, a chance to try out a, a few different devices, uh, a golf GPS, which we'll get to in a moment, but uh, the one that I kind of caught my eyes, like a, a robot caddy. How does that work? Well, they've actually been around for a little while, but obviously the price point on them was was pretty high for quite some time. Uh, the one that I had a chance to kind of play with is uh, one where you, it's basically a motor. A company's put together a motor with a couple of wheels, and you can actually attach it to a bunch of the uh, the golf carts that are out there and how they function is actually remarkably straightforward. They have a built-in lithium battery. Uh, you plug them in, uh, charge them up. You have a little remote control and then you can basically drive this thing around the golf course. Uh, there are some that even have Bluetooth connectivity. Uh, so it will actually follow you around the golf course. And so when you say drive it around the golf course, you're going to have to, do you have to remote control it with your smartphone or a remote control? Um, most of them come with their own remote control and it obviously connects to the power unit on the cart itself. Um, there are some that use uh, kind of Bluetooth capability either with a remote or a smartphone, but for the most part, they have their own little remotes. And you tried one out. Which one was that? Uh, so I tried one out by a company called Rovic. Now Rovic doesn't actually make their own. Uh, they used a couple of different pieces. So the power unit itself is made by a company called Alphard. And uh, you can you can kind of combine that with companies like Clickgear, for example, which is the one that I used. So the golf course or, you know, uh, golf town or wherever you buy them from, they bring them in in separate boxes and they put them together as as one unit. And what kind of price are we looking at? 
Uh, to get them together is about 1100 bucks. Now, this is, it might seem like a bit of an investment, uh, but normally these things for years have gone for in between 1500 and three grand. So to be able to get a unit, not only for around that $1,100 mark, but also if you decide later on that you want, you, you know, Mike, let's say for example, you want one that's got one of those nice cushiony seats on it. So if you want to take a little nap in between nine or, Maybe you want a cart that's got like an umbrella holder, a drink holder, maybe a hot plate or something. I mean, you have the ability to make these things pretty organic where you can kind of switch them around without having to spend crazy amounts of money on your next cart. And does this one follow you around or how does it uh, move? So the one that I tried out uh, does not. Actually, it's actually my unit. I, uh, I've had it since the beginning of the year. I know it's hard to imagine. I'm a few years too young to have my own electronic cart. But uh um, the one that's coming out in September, they're bringing out a V2 uh, and that one will actually have the ability to follow you around, but mine does not. Mine just uses the remote. I've often found it kind of dangerous, like probably three or four times a year, uh, we'll be sitting up on the patio and there is uh, a story of someone whose buggy went overboard into a pond. It is more common than you might think. Well, hopefully they have sensors on the front or anything. No. So I did, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's why it's, that's why there's a three thousand dollar version right yeah. <laughs> but i got a good deal <laughs> is it waterproof yeah. no no let's talk about the uh the uh golf gps i think this one's from garmin is that right yep that's correct and how does this thing work so this one uh this one was actually a, a blast to play with so just quick background when it comes to golf tech uh, there's always been a thing between having a GPS unit and having a range finder. So the range finders are those things people hold up to their face and they can zap the flag. Um, and this is the GPS hand unit. So this is kind of the other the other piece that people can use. Um, I like them because you've got a nice looking screen. It's touch sensitive. You can look at the layout of the golf hole. So for example, if you don't play at the same golf course every day, you go to a strange golf course and you look down a fairway and there's like a big water hazard out there. Well, it's nice to know how far you have to that water hazard. It'll give you, you know, numbers, for example, to show you to the front, middle and the back of the green. So it does a really good job at giving you information instantly. What would be the difference between this and having just an app on your smartphone? It's actually a really good question because, uh, a couple of the guys at the golf course I play at were kind of asking me the exact same thing. And the idea a lot of times when you go to the golf course is to not be attached to your phone. So when you have an app that's running on your phone, it means that people can still find you. Uh, it also is very draining on the battery. So unless you're going to carry on your phone in one of those power banks, um, and it also can chew through your data. Obviously, data is not the most expensive thing in the world anymore, but it's kind of nice to be able to shut your phone off uh, put it in the compartment of your electronic caddy and uh, just kind of leave it alone for a couple hours. Would you buy one of these? Um, I actually own one. Okay, so you did. <laughs> so you have bought them. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I've used, I used GPS starting about six years ago. I uh, play a, a fair amount of golf, much to my lovely wife's chagrin. And uh, I went to the rangefinder for a couple of years, but it's just so much easier to grab the information you need with the GPS. But yeah, I've had one for a while. Mine is not touchscreen, though. It's got like the old knob dial. It moves very, very, very slowly. So I think it's time for an upgrade. Talking with Ged, our uh, Get Connected contributor from Toronto. Uh, if you want to check out some of his reviews on some of this tech, check out our website, getconnectedmedia.com. Thanks, Ged. 
Thanks so much for having me. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk here on Get Connected. Stay tuned. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. John, uh, we had a pretty exciting week. We uh, actually got to install a robotic lawnmower at my house. Yeah, on a beautiful, hot, hot, hot day. Yeah, it, uh, and we're going to be doing a review on this, and we've got a full video. I've already talked about it on uh, Global News this week as well, and you can check out some of the footage there, but we'll have actually uh, more uh, as well. This is from Husqvarna. They uh, make a line of auto mowers, and I've been kind of looking at robotic lawnmowers for a while. Uh, the Husqvarna ones seem to be the best ones out there. And this thing is fantastic. Uh, you actually have to have someone come and install a perimeter wire fence around your yard. It, it goes underground. They have this little machine that goes around, uh, you know, with the guy, uh, and it puts the wire about three inches, you know, underneath your lawn, essentially, to make sure that your robot lawnmower doesn't escape, uh, essentially. But uh, this thing is fantastic. It uh, basically just runs all the time, and it, it's it, basically a Roomba for your lawn. Yeah, and John, I'm freaking loving loving this thing. It's amazing. It's been going for a few days now, and it is all kinds of awesome. You can adjust the you know the height of the lawn, you know the schedule as well. Uh, I mean, you can just let this thing run all the time because it's just cutting like little bits off the top, and it kind of mulches it, and it it falls back into your lawn. You never have to pick up any any lawn clippings or rake anything. It's just it's help, actually helping your lawn grow more. Uh, what surprised me too was how quiet it is. Yeah, yeah. My favorite part, John, was after we finished the day because we, you know, shot the segment and uh, just sitting on the patio with our cold beer, watching this thing <laughs> go around the lawn. <laughs> it was so cool. Yeah, I, and we had a little bit of fun with the drone and your dogs. Uh, oh my and god! One more. Oh my god! Yeah, I have two little dogs. They're kind of like a dash hound, a Chihuahua cross, uh, Maven Rosie. They went insane. Like yeah. number one the new robot lawnmower, the automower, uh, yeah. that drove them crazy. And then you brought your drone out because we're trying to film it from above. They did not like that at all. <laughs> for you know the, the hate and fear they had for the automower was uh, far surpassed by the drone. Well, it was funny too because when we were sitting on your patio after a little while, the mower was slowly making its way across your lawn and then all of a sudden a bunny showed up and then one of your dogs chased the bunny and then the lawnmower chased all of them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, fun times on the Agarbo lawn. Anyway, uh, we will be posting a video review uh, of uh, that Husqvarna automower. We'll actually have one of their uh, folks on the uh, one of the upcoming programs as well to talk more about it, but amazing technology. Don't forget to hit our website. We're giving away an Alcatel uh, flip phone. This is a flip phone, kind of like the, the old-fashioned ones, but it's also a smartphone as well. It's got some basic apps in there, including Google Assistant, so you can use your voice to play your favorite songs, uh, Google get directions, Google Maps, and even uh, watch your favorite YouTube videos as well. If you want a chance to win, go to getconnectedmedia.com, visit the newsletter tab, and if you subscribe to our newsletter, you're entered. It's that simple. I want to thank John, uh, my co-host, and all the other folks back at the ranch, including uh, Christina, our producer, We'll see you again next time.